Radio, hosted by Adam Shartoff. Hey everybody, this is Adam Shartoff, your host of Filmwax Radio. It's Thursday, February 27, 2020, and this is episode number 600. We have a lovely episode planned for you today. There are two segments. Uh, one is with the uh, filmmakers behind a documentary that just premiered recently on uh, HBO. We have the director, Amy Schatz, and producer, Julie Anderson, of the documentary, We Are the Dream, the kids of the Oakland MLK Oratorical Festival, which is currently available on HBO. And we also have the director of a new streaming service. When I say new, actually, it's 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 just passing its one year anniversary. It's the Ovid streaming service. Now there's been a lot of attention to some other recent streaming services. I grant you, but you need to know about this one if you love your independent films, if you love your foreign films, your festival films, your art house. You you know you. You, you, you wonder, well, what are people like me when they go off to festivals? What are we seeing? And so many of these titles are either not available in other ways or just buried somewhere. So what, what's nice about this is if you really do, check out Ovid.tv because they, they have an incredible selection. We're going to talk to the founder of this streaming service, Jonathan Miller, on this show. And he's uh, uh, got an interesting story to tell, and we have an interesting conversation coming up in a moment. So we're going to have Jonathan Miller, and then we'll have Amy and Julie in the second segment. There you have it. Okay, so Jonathan Miller, as you'll hear, has a long history in the uh, distribution business here in New York City. It goes back many, many years, in fact. And... You know, when uh, people now watching films on street, uh, most of the films, especially small ones like like uh, a typical independent film, on a streaming platform, right? And it used to be that, and he'll explain this, but I won't go into great detail about it, but that if you are trying to get a f- smaller film out there, you used to be able to at least get, you know, some of them on Netflix, you know, or Hulu. Right, well, those are the the bigger platforms that the majority of people subscribe to. Well, they're creating so much original content now that they don't take that many films anymore. Just a small number, or they help produce. You know, find uh, independent filmmakers, and then they end up producing a certain number of those films. It, it, they own the content. So, where do the rest of the films go that used to go there? So that's why. A streaming series like Ovid is so important not only to audiences that are might have an appetite for these types of alternatives, but to the distribution companies. And then if there's no distribution companies, there's no films going to get out there at all. So it's 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 a, there's a ripple effect here. If you're you know if you want to see something that's not a big Hollywood big budget film, it's going to get harder and harder if there aren't Jonathan Millers of the world. So 
I appreciate him coming on the show. Let's go into that conversation right now. And then we'll come back. We'll talk about Amy and Julie's documentary and uh, do that uh, segment. Okay. But here first is distributor Jonathan Miller here only on Filmwax Radio. Jonathan, it's, it's great to meet you. It's uh, nice to meet yours. You are the director of, of Ovid, a streaming service of, of art films and uh, uh, independent films. And um, I think we're talking today because you guys are actually uh, about to approach or have recently approached your one year anniversary. Is that right? Yes, we started the end of March last year. Can you give me the backstory on Ovid? Oh, okay. How far back do you want me to go? Well, that's up to you. Um, I mean, I'm just interested in all the details of how <laughs> you decided to take on such adventure, and uh, I guess I'm interested in what I would call the origin story. The origin story. Um, well, I've been um, running Icarus Films, which is a distribution company, uh, for 40 years or so, and... Um, We've gone through, you know, of course, lots of changes in format and markets and medium. And when we started, we didn't have videotapes and, you know, stuff like that. And uh, most more recently, in recent years, the market was such that we would uh, license films to SVOD players like Netflix uh, or uh, smaller independent ones like Fandor or Filmstruck or Sundance Now, and we had a home, we had, we still have a home video DVD biz market and business and still sell DVDs, but of course not like we used to. And um, so, you know, we're in the sort of independent alternative film world. And um, like a number of other companies, right? Um, and like a number of other companies, that market is struggling. Whereas six years ago, or no, three, three or four years ago, we sold six films to Netflix. And uh, two or three years ago, we sold one. For the last couple of years, we've sold zero. And there were other companies that had output deals, and almost all their films would go to Netflix, or they sold their bigger films to Netflix. You know, there was a market there in Hulu and... Um, you know, it was developing as an SVOD market, and and they and a lot of uh, as DVD sales fell, a lot of uh, companies came to depend on that. Um, but that dried up basically over the last couple of years as the bigger ones produced their own content and became less interested in independent content, um, or they just were interested in the you know highest profile, most successful films and which is fair enough, but it meant fewer and fewer of most people's films were not being going anywhere. So a number of companies were suffering and the market was contracting because of this trend. And uh, so that was on one side. And then on the other side, uh, Icarus Films has been working in its whole history in the educational non-theatrical market as well, uh, doing a lot of sales to colleges and universities. And um, 
that market also changed uh, to streaming, and uh, we became partners with another, <laughs> to make this more complicated, another educational distribution company called Bullfrog Films, and together we set up together we set up a company called DocuSeek. DocuSeek. Okay. Uh, when was when did you start that? About eight years ago, seven or eight years ago. And DocuSeek does streaming, um, like Netflix or like Ovid. It's an SVOD service. It's specifically targeted at colleges and universities, though. It doesn't work with individual people. Sure. Uh, it's uh, educational distribution. Yeah. The college uh, buys a license and then all their students or a subscription for a year, and they pay thousands of dollars, but all of their students have access to all of the films all of the time. So that sort of replaced selling DVDs to college libraries. So that business uh, grew over the last you know, six years and is successful and makes a profit and is growing. So I'm both involved in that, which was an ongoing business, SVOD business, and I'm here in New York talking to my colleagues at other companies, at First Run Features, at Grasshopper, at Zeitgeist, at Film Movement, all over, right? Everybody is facing the same problem. And so uh, last year, last year, no, now, 2018, uh, the second half of that year, we were, you know, I was talking to people from these other companies who I work with, and I said, well, and this was after, uh, and Fandor and Films, well, I don't remember when they closed, but anyways, we were talking and uh, we said, well, you know, everyone's struck. There's only going to be a market if we make it. We can't wait and depend on other people. You know, we have to, no one's going to jump in and be dependable and we can rely on them. We have to do it ourselves. And um, they said, yeah. The problem was how to do it. <laughs> so uh, I put uh, sort of the interest of these companies in New York and other distribution companies together, sort of, you know, the, the film side of it, with the technology and infrastructure uh, that already exists on the educational side. So DocuSeek uh, is supporting... Uh, DocuSeek created Ovid with the help of all these other distribution companies to stream to the individual people market. So now you have a consumer market. Right, right. And uh, you're using the same infrastructure uh, for both services, right? Right. So it didn't take a ton of, of right. uh, rebuilding right. from scratch. Exactly. So we built the, so we're using the same back end and we built the um, front end for the consumer market. And it doesn't mean it's not costing a lot of money. We still... <laughs> have to pay a lot for other things, but but the basic uh, knowledge and ability to set it up, we already had. And the content, well, now it's up to about 20 companies that we're working with. I take it some of those companies are larger than others. Yeah, some are, um, you know, small and only a couple films, and some are quite large, but are larger, so... So yeah, yeah, we're up to about twenty content suppliers. So that's an amazing amount of uh, companies to work with or partners to work with. Uh, so how how did the how quickly ha, um, have you gotten to the point where you are now? We started the year with uh, six or seven, maybe eight, and uh, we started the year with about three hundred films, and now we're up to eight hundred films, and we started with uh, six or seven partners and for content and we're up to 20. I assume this is a, 
Uh, Ovid is obviously a subscription-based service. So, uh, so what does that look like? It's uh, six ninety-nine a month, or sixty-nine ninety-nine a year. How does it work with uh, filmmakers or, or distributors in terms of their titles on Ovid versus some other streaming service? Do you? try to get an exclusive arrangement with them uh, or at least for a period of time before maybe they uh, put their films on other services uh, what, what do you what are your um, what is your approach in that regard because um, I, I imagine even uh, with the art films and independent films it can be somewhat uh, competitive we don't ask we, we're, one of our objectives and one of the sort of precepts of our business model is we want things to be as easy and transparent for the distribution companies and the filmmakers and producers as possible. So we only ask for, we don't, we do not ask for exclusive rights. Uh, We let them put the films up and take them down. Well, we try not to take them down. So far we haven't had to take any film down. That's another part of it is unlike the services where like they say, oh, well, leaving this week, well, our films generally don't leave. Uh, So the licensing, those are licensing deals Typically, right. right? Right. So you get it for, meaning you get a film for a year yeah, or two you, years, right. and then they come up. Right. Uh, almost all of our licenses are for three years, and um, so we haven't had to renew any yet. <laughs> but uh, generally... <laughs> yes, you've been around a short time. You know. Yeah. Um, what was the question? Um, oh, just, uh, um, I guess... Uh, well, those are, oh yeah. So you were explaining how these the films have been staying uh, put essentially, and that um, they are also. But you don't have an exclusive. Oh, are they on other services? Yeah. Well, even we though have they have to focus have the, on that, but right. You know, even though I we like have, this is a yeah. Even though uh, we, we everyone has the rights to put the films on as many services as far as we're concerned as they can. In fact, ninety ninety five percent of the films are on no other service. Because that, I mean, this is why oh. we set up the company because no one wants sure. them, no one's going to buy them, license well, them. Well, let's let's rephrase. Fandor went out of business. Filmstruck went out of business. Netflix yes. and Hulu stopped buying. You know, uh, yeah. So they all lost their place in the market, to the extent there was a market. Now there's no market. So ninety right. percent of the films you won't find anywhere else, but not uh, because so the, of contractual yeah, reasons. Understood. Understood. Uh, the the so if you are out there and you know you are a uh, lover of or just appreciate having as part of your menu of films you like to watch right uh, not just Hollywood films uh, but also uh, you know what what's called indie films uh, smaller films uh, art house sometimes called that or festival films some right. films that that are six, very successful and well-received and um, given great reviews in the press they get um, on the festival circuit, but, you know, never find a way to get to a, some uh, many of the cities and towns around the country. Um, you know, th- how do you get to see those films? And it's very frustrating. Right. Um, well, that's... I know, like, I try to go to some festivals throughout the year. I do. But I make notes when I'm interested in a film, and it's mm. it's frustrating to me. I can't... Unless I belong to uh, uh, subscribe to Ovid, I'm not. I, I'm not going to get to see those films. Yeah, you know. So they just sort of, uh, and I'm missing out on on a really special type of um, film. Well, we that's what we think a lot of people feel, and uh, that's you know what we're 
the sort of need that we're trying to uh, address. And that, that's, for instance, we're, re we're releasing a film, um, well, Icarus Films is re releasing a film in um, eight days, a week from tomorrow. And it, Which is... and it will be the first, it's called Jinpa. It's a Chinese, it's actually from Tibet. Mm -hmm. a Tibetan drama by uh, Tibet's best known and first documentary uh, feature filmmaker Pima Sidan and uh, um, we're releasing it here in New York at the uh, Asia Society mm -hmm. but uh, or Icarus is releasing it and we're going to have it on Ovid the same day so day and, day uh, and date right there this will be our first experiment with a Day and date release of a feature film mm -hmm. release, uh, uh -huh. because certainly the film will not travel to very many cities. Right, right, right. Um, so you know, like what we'll do is when people hear this, it'll already be available for streaming. So yes, that's if if you if you either are currently a subscriber to Ovid or are considering doing such, by the time you do go to the to to the uh, site, you can watch that film. Again, what's the name of it? Jinpa. Jinpa? J-I-N-P-A. Very good, Jinpa. Okay. Yeah, and uh, that's going up on the 21st. Of February. Very good. Right. Mm -hmm. And uh, we can talk a little bit about some other recent or upcoming releases. Uh, I just wanted to ask one more question, and it's sort of a, you know, like an enterprise type of question, and that is, you know, the big thing um, I mean, I think the content is obviously there. You have an incredible uh, library of quality, uh, undeniable quality, you know, films. Uh, the big monolith that's out there that you have to fight against is the marketing, right? Because yeah. um, that's the biggest. I mean, that's why we're doing the interview, uh, for instance. But but <laughs> I you. do get it. Thank you. Yeah, sure. My, for me, it's my pleasure. And I have, a, you know, many of the I think the majority of people that listen to this podcast are the people that we're, we were just referring to, those people mm -hmm. that are. Uh, do have an appetite for right. these your films and um, and also filmmakers. Right, uh, a lot of filmmakers listen to the show, so I think that they'd be very interested in in, in Ovid and um, be relieved to know there is a streaming service out there that kind of you know is is a nice right. match for what they're doing. Right. So, um, well, it's hard for but, us. But at you the know, moment, in Hollywood, yeah, go ahead. It's hard for us at the moment to. Uh, uh, take films from individual people with one one or two films just because our infrastructure is so small um, mm -hmm. there's four people who work on who work on this uh, and uh, only one of us works full time <laughs> wow it's so ask you that. It's, it's a it's, joke I was going to ask you that it, yeah it's very uh, uh, <laughs> skeletal skeletal uh, difficult <laughs> so uh -huh. uh so far, we're only taking films from the other companies where mm -hmm. we can hopefully get a number of, you know, we get eight films or ten films. We make a selection with them, what they think, what they would like us to put up and what we think fits into our programming. And then we can, and we have standard agreements with them. So we're not um, negotiating and uh, organizing the delivery and... Uh, uh, presentation of one film at a time if you understand what i'm saying sure um so that's why up till now uh 
when individual filmmakers have approached us, we generally are, have to ask them <laughs> to talk to one of the companies we work with because uh, we want to work with individual filmmakers. That will be our goal, uh, but we probably have to be a little bigger before we're able to handle oh, that. Oh, okay. I uh, understand that. Sure, sure, sure. Um, I mean, there's straight. maybe, uh, you could probably count on one hand the number of filmmakers who self-distribute and have enough of a library that that would even be something worth pursuing for you. You know, like yeah. there are probably some filmmakers who own oh, their there films. Oh, there are, definitely. And they distribute their own films. And, uh, you know, I, I mean, I've had an, a few of them on the on the show. Mm. Uh, most recently, I'd say Hal Hartley, talk about, an uh, you know, an icon out there, but uh, he owns his films. And, you know, even though, you know, it'd be... Right. Um, well, if it's a large yeah. enough body of film, you know, collection, library, and... Um, it made sense for us and for them. We would consider it, but yeah. But I was getting. I was just saying that there's a lot of filmmakers listen to the show and would feel that in terms of the match. I'm just saying, like once yes. they have their films and the distributed, that they would know that that this is a another event, uh, like a you know a spot for them to uh, where their films could. Right. Yes, we would hope so. It would be appropriate. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but but understanding that, that a distributor should be in place in those <laughs> for Generally. that to happen. Um, mm. But I'm just, I was just more curious about uh, marketing and how that mm. such seems to be perhaps your biggest uh, challenges, of course, is getting the word out, of course, about the service in the first place, but also yes. letting people, you know, who it's like everybody, you know, the media keeps saying over and over this, this candidate that everybody really, uh, you know, uh, respects, but he's not electable. And if you say it enough times, right? But if right. you know who I'm referring to, but if you say it enough times, people it start believing true, it. But right. Yeah, it becomes true. So if you put, if you do nothing but paper all the subway uh, stations and bus shelters with, uh, you know, the latest Tarantino film, it doesn't <laughs> leave a lot of room for uh, right. marketing your guys, you know, right. um, who, and there's room for everybody, you know, in right. the movie theaters too, um, you know, though we don't need to talk about that since that's not even, um, you know, uh, right. it's a, it's No, a it's definitely our biggest challenge is um, yeah. in the beginning last uh, year in the spring and summer we got a fair amount of attention in yes. the sort of film media press uh and in the new york you know we got coverage uh but that uh fell off <laughs> the second half of last year and mm -hmm. and also with the arrival of disney plus and apple tv and all of that they the space available for us to get the word out has gotten much smaller mm -hmm. uh, uh, and harder for us to get uh, coverage. And we do buy uh, some ads, but our budget is pretty limited. So, surely. Um, um, so yeah, it's that, and that's our biggest challenge: is getting uh, subscribers, <laughs> people finding out about us, and us breaking through all the. Uh, traffic and clutter and new companies and people feeling overwhelmed with too many subscriptions to have. And we get a lot of comments from people saying, I just can't handle another subscription service. So I understand that, but, um, so yeah. So unsubscribe from Hulu and, um, there's your solution. 
<laughs> right. Um, let's let's but let's the, the best way is to actually say what you are are what the, the quality films that you are offering up that really do when you're done you feel like a good meal you feel really uh, satisfied and nourished right mm-hmm. I mean that's yeah. I, it, that absolutely is the case when I go back and I'm, all of a sudden I'm like get the hunger for watching a bunch of like films from various countries around the world and you know more obscure documentaries and smaller independent films i feel just much more nourished after i've I've watched Mm. them and um so what you mentioned jin pai what are some of the other maybe recent or upcoming films that you want to highlight i mean let's well we're very proud of the fact that we have online now all of the major films of patricio guzman uh whose most recent film won the prize in Cannes last year for best documentary and uh, just opened uh, yesterday at the IFC Center here in New York, and uh, called The Cordillera of Dreams. And he made, uh, back in the mid-'70s, The Battle of Chile, oh, which, wow. which mm-hmm. is, um, among most people's list of the best documentaries ever made. And Not to be confused that confused with was, The Battle of Algiers. Go ahead. Yeah, and that was <laughs> in '75, and... We have all of his major films up through his previous film to the one that's out today uh, called The Pearl Button, which opened a year or two ago here in New York. Um, So, uh, uh, sorry? No, I was just going to ask you, that's currently available? Yes. That that, that, uh, uh, oeuvre is uh, currently available? Yes. Okay, so that's perfect timing for this. uh, It's great. Great way to uh, time it is uh, in in tandem with that. Right. We we did it to launch all of his work. There's uh, seven films, uh, seven feature-length documentaries, six of which played in Cannes and one uh, won a prize in Berlin. So all of those films are available at the same time that his new film uh, was released uh, yesterday. So that's, our, that's our current like, mm-hmm. high-impact presentation. <laughs> Very good. Patricio Guzman. Yes. Okay. Any others you want to mention or, or coming up? Or not to put you on the spot. The most recent film by another documentary filmmaker, Hedy Hodickman, called Buddy, which mm-hmm. had a theatrical release uh, last year at Film Forum here in New York. And uh, we also have about uh, eight of her previous films available. Um, Is that a typical thing, getting a... a some yes. entire oeuvre or do we okay. try to we uh, have we that... have a d- sex section of directors and uh, if it's if a person has two or three films on Ovid then we try and make a uh, area dedicated to them and do publicity that around that p- filmmaker's work mm-hmm. and a fair number of the filmmakers are you know well known Claire Denis uh, Deborah Granick um Great, yeah. Uh, Both have done the show. Sorry? Both of those women have done the show. Oh, great. Yeah, like Hetty and Patricio, we try and respect Mm -hmm. the uh, body of work of people as well as their most recent films. Right, and now is that, uh, do the rights revert to those filmmakers and that makes it easier to do such? No, no, that depends on the contract they have with the producers. I see. Um, Right. The, the director does not generally own the films. Right. But all the deals can be different. There's no 
one way that it works. So a lot of that's a big part of your job then is that, yes. right? Yeah, Those yeah. I, I, I do the deals. acquisitions and the editorial decision-making and curatorship of the site. So you're pretty much the man, let's put it that way. Well, I wouldn't put it that way, but... Okay, I'll do it. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> um, you're part of the team, I understand. Uh, okay, so it's Ovid.tv, right? That's the site. Yes. 800 We're also... Plus. Yes, go ahead. Yeah. Go ahead. Yeah, 800 plus films. What were you going to say? Mm-hmm. No, that we're also on iPhone and Roku. Oh, right. Yes, you're online, like that, for instance. Right. Yeah, it's a, it's, a, it's a very easy to use, seamless app to use. I hope so. Yeah, and people it's a nice... Sh- people should nice, tell us uh, any suggestions uh, they have for um, how we can do things better. We try and be responsive. Yeah, well, that's another advantage of being small and compact, right? You <laughs> right. can actually you, you can, can have create relationships. You can track down a person to, to complain to. <laughs> <laughs> you, uh, I have no complaints personally, so John. Well, that's so. good. You're you're <laughs> <Yeah>. lucky. <laughs> uh, you're beginning year two with a very robust library. Uh, people should go check out the library, and you can get a free trial, right? Uh, how? Yeah, long is no, that? yeah. Everyone who signs up gets a free week to check it out. That's plenty of time to decide to, to subscribe. Or um, not, right. So if you're out there and you are, again, a fan of, uh, I'd say, documentaries and other types of independent films and foreign films, this is the service for you. And, and it's a nice contrast to those other streaming services you mentioned earlier in the conversation. Um, and if you are a, a distributor and you are looking for a service also to, to partner with, Contact Jonathan Miller at uh, at Ovid, right? Yes, that would be great. You're based in New York City, as you mentioned, and uh, I can't see that this would work almost anywhere else, although uh, in terms <laughs> of taking meetings, <laughs> no, most of your distributors are here. I try and avoid um, them. Yeah. Great. So. Uh, well, thank you so much. But sure, I think, did, did we leave every? Did we kind of get to everything, or do you think? Or? Whatever's helpful for you. Yeah, no, that's fine. I'm happy. That's what I'm trying to do. Make you happy. <laughs> Great. Well, very nice to meet you. I hope to meet you in person sooner than later. And um, thank you for making the time. do these kinds of things occasionally where if it's very time sensitive and I'm worried about getting the segment out on time, I'll sometimes put it on in advance up on our YouTube channel, which is what I did with this segment you're about to hear We about uh, with Amy and also Julie. We are the dream. I just had to make sure that I promoted that in, with, you know, so people could maybe even watch the premiere on HBO. So this is sort of been out in the world already, but has not been on the podcast. So I'm real happy to be putting it on this episode. The documentary is still very much available for seeing, and it actually, it's sort of within the framework of uh, Black History Month. It's still Black History Month. It is uh, February 27th as I record this introduction. And in fact, uh, it is a leap year, so there's still a couple more days of February after today. I don't know how much longer the film is going to be on HBO, but it's probably going to be there for a bit. Every year, hundreds of children from pre-K through 12th grade 
participate in the Oakland MLK Oratorical Festival, a stirring public speaking competition where they perform poetry and speeches, both published and original, inspired by the life and legacy of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Directed and produced by Emmy winner Amy Schatz and executive produced by Academy Award winner Mahershala Ali and Julie Anderson. We Are the Dream, the Kids of the Oakland MLK Oratorical Fest is an uplifting documentary about young people finding their voices and the community that celebrates and supports their passion. Here now is Amy Schatz, followed by my conversation with Julie Anderson regarding this very moving, really moving documentary, uh, We Are the Dream, here on Film Wax Radio. I was kind of nervous. Good afternoon. But I just took a deep breath and did my poem. There's cheers up there, cheers up here. It's going to be a lot and of people, nervous. and that's a big stage. Everybody really wants us to win. Good afternoon. My name is Gregory Payton. Thank you for this opportunity to be here. Today, I will be performing a speech that I wrote on my own. The Martin Luther King Oratorical Fest is a deep tradition that the entire community looks forward to. See, my black is beautiful. They're allowed to be who they are, to get up there, no matter how scared they are. They're profound, and they have a Vision. And then when they make it, it's just nothing like it. Today, we are ready as vibrant, beautiful girls full of potential. The Lord is my shepherd. The time is always right to do the right thing. We fight today. We fight tomorrow. But that doesn't stop our sorrow. It's time to stand up against hate. Nice to meet you, Amy. You have directed a number of, of, of uh, documentaries before, right? You are either a director or producer of a number of films, correct? Yes. I mean, my specialty is making films featuring kids and for kids. I've made a number of films about um, some ah. of life's big subjects with kids, subjects like dreams, um, endangered see. animals, climate change, poetry, music. Um, so my specialty is children. Terrific. And, and so then if we, we'll get to We Are the Dream, uh, the kids of the Oakland MLK Oratorical Fest in a moment. But uh, how, did, how did that occur? How did you get into telling stories for and about kids? Um, well, over the years, I've um, made these documentaries for kids, and I actually view them as being just mm-hmm. stories mm-hmm. for anybody. Um, they're really looking at some of um, some of the important subjects of our time. I've made films about the Holocaust with kids, about September 11th, and they're really exploring a subject. So I find kids to be sophisticated and interesting and, and eloquent, and I love, I love them also as my subject. I don't know and if that's what you were asking, filth- but... but. Yeah, no, exactly, yeah. And are, are they less filtered in that regard? Do you find that they're less, thinking less about how they have to, or were less worried about how they're coming off or uh, presenting themselves, and you're getting maybe a, even another level of, of genuine authenticism? Right. Well, I think 
any time you start a film, your your subject is your partner, and you have to you go on a journey together, and hopefully they trust you and you listen to right. what it is they have to say. In this case, you know when we started this project. The idea was to make a film about this competition that happens every year in Oakland, and it's in, in this oratorical contest that hundreds of children participate in. And, mm-hmm. you know, when I started it, I thought that it was a film that was about a competition and a contest, and that we were making this kind of nail-biting, tension-filled film that would be about a winner and we were trying to figure out who the winner was going to be and we had many cameras at the event to try to you know cover it um and then you know something changed during the process of filming and it became important to listen to what it was the kids were speaking about they were they delivered speeches and poems that either they wrote or famous uh, material that they were interested in re you know, revoicing. And so, you know, it was an interesting journey that we went on together to try to hear what the kids had to say and made a very different kind of film than we thought we were making in the beginning. Um, I, You know, I, I, over the years, I've seen my share of documentaries involving competitions with children, especially a couple like uh, Mad Hot Ballroom comes to mind. Uh, Racing Dreams is another. But this one, the the... the the competition aspect of it, it's there, but it's not, you know, it's not quite so prominent. You know, it's more about the con the content than the more, you know, than the contest itself. And then the, the emphasis seems to be on really the kids present learning how to believe in what they're saying, to understand it, to uh, present, learning how to present themselves and to affect people that are watching and do the best they can and feel proud of what they're doing, you know? And that really is such an amazing um, right. I mean, what, what's beautiful oh. about this particular contest is that it's this incredible community-wide event, and the teachers, and the parents, and the um, principals, and the coaches, and the whole community comes out to support these kids. And there right. really isn't only one winner; there are many winners. And even you know, the kids who win second place are winning. So. Um, you know, what was challenging was to try to create a space for the content yeah. that the kids were presenting. You know, their their speeches and their poems were grappling with things like race and social justice and gentrification and immigration, gun violence, and you know, these, these weighty subjects, what it means to be a girl today, and um, also issues of kindness and what it means to do the right thing. So... Um, you know, the challenge was that they were saying so much, um, and how do we fit this in? Um, so the the contest became sort of the backdrop, but the um, p- philosophical and poetic and political musings that the kids were offering up were important to try to create space for. How did you find out about this uh, festival? Was this going on in the community you're from? Uh, it's It just happened that every year they have this rather this contest where the uh i guess the Oakland Unified School District uh has a uh, this contest with the kids in the in the in the school system around the time of ML I guess Martin Luther King's birthday is that the idea Right right this is the 40th So one. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know I had 
I hadn't known about this tradition, but across the country there are Martin Luther King oratorical contests. Oh, there are, um, okay that take place around this time of year. And we did some research and we came across this one in Oakland. The The whole district um, comes together in this um, annual event and it's been going on for 41 years. We filmed the 40th event and the original idea was to, um, conv- as they describe it, lift up student voices and to support the students in a way that allows them to shine beyond curriculum. So. The idea is to give the kids some extra, an extra opportunity to, you know, um, raise their voices. And so being in Oakland was really interesting for us because um, it's also a place with a lot of social justice history. Um, it was the, it's the birthplace of the Black Panthers. And so all of these um, kind of the, the legacy, not only of Martin Luther King and of um, you know, this tradition, but also the place itself was a really wonderful place to be. Um, We loved the mix of poetry. We loved the mix of original and published speeches. And we also were impressed that they start as young as kindergarten. And the contest goes from, um, you know, five-year-olds up to teenagers through high school. So it was, it's a really, it was a fascinating um, opportunity to see, you know, what these kids um, were capable of and, and what they had to it say. It seems like the majority of the kids that were highlighted in, in the film, because I think you highlight how many? Um, there's maybe like five like or six central um, central kids, yeah. and then you know we tried to give a glimpse of many, many more. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I, maybe you highlighted more, and then they just didn't make the final cut. Is that possible? Um, you know, I would imagine it must be very, sorry to interrupt you, I just imagine it must be very difficult for a child, uh, if you're tailing them, let's say, you know, and you're uh, following them and, and shooting them for the film and then they don't make it in, that ha- that would have been a, yeah, I mean, a horrible disappointment I mean, for, a, for a little kid. You know? Yeah, I mean, the, you have to be very careful when you're filming with kids and... Um, yeah. I think the good, the you know, I'm very careful with kids, and all of the kids that we um, filmed in rehearsal or at their homes are in the film. So we were very careful about not, um, very good, you know, um, and you know, one of the things that I always say to the kids is that even if you're not in this final film, you really you know, we're astonished by you and you helped us to make it. Because the truth is that, um, you know, in the edit room is where you discover the story and all along the way, um, you know, leads you to that, that, you know, that moment (laughs) in the edit room. So anyway, it is hard. I mean, you don't want to disappoint, disappoint people. Um, Yeah. But I mean, the, the... Absolutely. We tried to squeeze as much as we could in, and we had a screening in Oakland last week, and the audience was just alive um, watching. Um, you know, they're watching, even if it's not them, it's their school representative or their classmates or, um, you know, sibling. It's oh, my exciting. God, I've been to screenings like that. The kids just go, yeah, the kids... Yeah, the kids go crazy and they're screaming and they're like, oh, they're so they're laughing their, their yeah. butts off. I, I know, you know, enjoying seeing their friends and you know, it's a it's a tremendous experience. Um, so a lot of the kids I noticed they they did write their own or develop their own um, uh, speeches. Yes, all again inspired by 
uh, Martin Luther King. So they you know, obviously all had to prepare and do their homework to know, learn about this guy. I'm, uh, uh, at, at that much more. Maybe it's already part of the curriculum. But and then one of the one of the kids uh, ends up reciting. I think in its entirety, correct me if I'm wrong, but MLK's last speech, the one he would give the night before he was assassinated, and um, I've been to the mountaintop, and I may not get there with you, but that famous speech, right, He, he uh, this young man, who I'm guessing is uh, 12 years old or something like that, uh, it was very moving. Yeah, well, this is Gregory, Gregory. and he's actually, he was eight He was eight when we filmed him. Is that right? And he has a, um, yes, he, he's extraordinary because he, um, he grew up in his grandfather's church, and he's a participant in many of the Sunday church services. And he, as his grandfather describes him, describes him as a lover of um, of pastors and speeches, and yeah. he's just um, grown up in that in that world. And he had a particular affinity to um, Martin Luther King's uh, mountaintop speech um, and talks about the power of the words and the meaningfulness of that particular speech to him. And he ends up doing a tribute, which is a mix of some biblical passages and um, some passages from the mountaintop speech. And when he is performing on stage, he really loses himself in the in the language, in his body, um, he he seems to be channeling MLK in this incredible way. Um, he's very modest, he's very quiet, he's very shy, but when he delivers um, this really what what feels like a sermon, he um, he's got you know the power of it in his deep in his body. So it was really impressive to meet him and talk to him. And, you know, the other kids, you know, thinking that the idea of the oratorical is to think about Martin Luther King's words and to reflect on what they mean for our world today. Um, and that's powerful because it's not just history. It's what is what does Martin Luther King have to say to me today? And um, all the kids were, were thinking about that. There was one particular moment where a boy from who's from Sri Lanka, Karunian, um, who is a new immigrant to this country, um, had not heard of Martin Luther King Jr. And he says during the interview, I thought, you know, who is this Martin Luther King Jr.? I have to find out. And so he did some research and was blown away by, um, you know, what Martin Luther King did for in this country, what he his... Um, you know, ideas were, and was thinking about the violence in his own country and how um, reflecting on what Martin Luther King's ideas were for this country, he was thinking that he could write about um, how it would be to have had a Martin Luther King in Sri Lanka who could help with the conflict there. So it was a powerful discovery for him, and I think for us, listening to these kids think about Martin Luther King's legacy was a way to um, think about his ongoing um, message for for all of us. So that was that was pretty um, pretty special. Yeah, he was a beautiful child uh, with a beautiful spirit. I felt um, the one you were just, just describing. Uh, I, I are they are they awakened in me memories of of learning about Martin Luther King when I was their age, and at the time he was 
just barely, you know, sort of uh, gone from the, you know, the world. He, he, well, he's never been really gone in that regard, I suppose. But uh, th- I think adults will relate to these kids. I think it'll, it'll bring back a lot of very positive connections and memories for them as well. And it, what's great is you've made a film here that works on a number of levels because parents should absolutely watch this with their children. Um, you know, it's uh, it's just a great way to spend um, an hour and a half and uh, um, and then have something really to share and talk about and a memory to, to take with them. You know? Yeah, I mean, to me, there's some hopefulness in the film, and that feels good at this time. Um, you know, yeah, th- right, the- exactly. The kids are talking about tough stuff. Um, they're thinking. They're talking about um, mm. how it feels and what it means to live on this earth as a young person at this moment in time, and they're giving voice to some of the their outrage and their, um, you know, what it is that they feel needs fixing. But at the same time, they're deeply hopeful about life, what's beautiful, what's to be celebrated, and what they want to fix. So to me, it's got this incredible momentum um, and just gives you a sense of what our future leaders would be capable of. Well, the name of the documentary again is called We Are the Dream, the Kids of the Oakland MLK Oratorical Fest. And it's premiering on um, what uh, some, some obscure cable channel called HBO. Not familiar with it. Sounds nice, though. Uh, on February 18th, can you just tell me how you came? How, how did this come about? This deal? I, I know the guys at uh, at HBO Documentary, and they've got uh, great great taste. And it's not so easy to get your documentary. Right. Well, on I think HBO. you're going to be speaking with Julie Anderson. Oh, good segue. Um, <laughs> yeah. So Julie um, Julie's a producer who had been working on a film about Martin Luther King. Um, and discovered that he had participated in an oratorical at a young age and came to HBO with this idea of doing something on oratoricals. And being that I've worked for them um, doing children's programs for many years, they asked me to develop this. And so that that's the I origin see. of this project. So I was delighted and privileged that, that uh, Julie brought yes. this idea to HBO. Well, I'm glad it turned out the way it did. I'm going to urge people to go check out the documentary this week because um, I, I think I already said it's a it's a uh, very inspiring film, and it's great to see it through the eyes of, of children, this subject, you know. So, um, yeah. It's airing on HBO on February 18th, and then it will... February 18th. Be... Maybe I forgot to say that. I apologize. Wait, no. Is it February 18th? Let me just think about that. Yes, it tomorrow. is. It is. <laughs> okay. mm-hmm. And then it will be streaming for free on HBO.com. It will be streaming for, for free on HBO.com after the premiere. Oh, that's a great idea. Oh, I applaud that. That's a terrific idea. It makes a lot of sense that they yes. would choose to do that. That's uh, very smart. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, thank you very very much. I, I look forward to meeting you at, at some point, And, you know, maybe we can do this again. And um, I, I appreciate how our friends pulled this together yes. so quickly. And... Um, and so last minute, but we'll get the word out about... Uh, thank you so uh, much. No. I'm so grateful to you. Okay. Thank you, Amy. Take care. Hi, Adam. Hi, Julie. How are you? I'm good. How are you? Very good. Thank you. I was just talking to Amy, so... and Yes. You know, I started... I was asking her, <laughs> like, how 
how HBO this whole deal came about. She goes, well, you're about to talk to Julie. Ask her. It's like, that <laughs> yeah. makes a lot of sense. Yeah, that's true. That's true. So um, in 2018 was the 50th anniversary of Martin Luther King's assassination. And so a lot of the TV networks were doing films to commemorate Martin Luther King, and I was producing one, um, producing and directing. And uh, I was reading Martin Luther King's autobiography, and in it he tells this story when he was 14 years old. He had gone to compete in an oratory competition, and he won. And on the way back from the competition, he and his teacher who had accompanied him had to stand in a bus for 90 miles because there were no seats for black people left. And that left a huge mark in his mind because he wrote about that specifically in his autobiography. And um, he wrote about it in his papers when he was still pretty young. And that moment, that moment of humiliation um, really struck him. And remember that Martin Luther King, as the son of a pastor, was considered sort of upper class in the in the black community. Um, so he was sort of spared a lot of the humiliations that poor the poorer black community would have been exposed to. So this was really something that stuck in his mind. And while I was working on this film, I was doing some research on oratory competitions and discovered that there are still some oratory competitions across the country which are inspired by Martin Luther King. And Mm -hmm. this one in Oakland, and there's a couple of of them across the country. We we went with the one in Oakland because of the diversity of the community there. But there are kids who are who are writing, memorizing, and performing speeches inspired by Martin Luther King across the country. And it occurred to me, knowing the, um, you know, the mindset of HBO, that this is something that they would really grasp, because I thought this would make such a good documentary film. And the kids that I found online on YouTube were so inspiring, and I felt so encouraged about our future because these are kids who are growing up really concerned about social issues and equality and freedom and justice. And they're, they're researching it, they're talking about it, and then they're identifying it in their own lives, right? So they're seeing and learning firsthand. And Oakland was the perfect community for that because, as you can see from the film, we have kids from all different backgrounds. For me, it was a bit, you know, I mean, it's very empowering for kids. First of all, for the kids that were uh, the subject of the film, the, the kids that were yeah. involved in it, and the ones that you know did this incredible preparation and person, yeah. et cetera, for for the yeah. for the big contest, but yeah. also for kids that may watch it to see other children, you know, being able to accomplish these things in the sense of of uh, pride and and satisfaction um, that they get and that their families get. Uh, because so much of the time, you know, a lot, we we treat children that well. At the very at the very least, let's just say that they're not uh, independent thinking, you know, human beings. That they're an yeah. extension of of adults. But but that's uh, right. understandable. But I mean, I'm I'm my biggest challenge, honestly, watching the film was just sort of stop staring at and thinking how it's incredibly adorable. <laughs> kids were, and I'm like, come on now, don't patronize these children. They're doing something important. Stop that, yeah. you know. But it was like very right. difficult, they're very challenging because some of them are just, 
just unbelievable. Yes. Uh, well, I mean, that's, that's part of Muslim the, children. Yeah. Oh, those girls, I just love them. Yeah. But I, I think that's part of the magic of children, you know? Right. They are sponges. Yeah. So they're going to sap up everything around them that they find inspiring and attention-grabbing. And also kids are born with empathy, right? So if they learn empathy for other people at such a young age, they're going to grow up like that. And that's why I think that this film is so inspiring because we see these kids at a very young age taking on these larger issues and learning to really think about them and think about what that means, not just in their own lives, but their classrooms and in the world around them. You can see the little kid from Sri Lanka. He says, I learned about Martin Luther King, and then I realized this is just what happened to my own people. And so then he was really able to put that in context, a larger context, and he's only, what, yeah, like nine yeah. years old, and he's already understanding that. Yeah, so it's learning. It's how you make it's people learning. together, and you learn so much. And Yeah, and the kids are just so inspiring because they're so cute. You kind of can't look away, but you walk away thinking about the sense of commitment that they've learned to equality and justice. And, you know, it kind of makes us realize, I mean, these kids are actually doing something. You know, they're really <laughs> yeah, right. getting out and speaking about it it's way more than what I've been doing. Right? Uh, well, you so, when you say I, you don't mean yourself because you made this particular film, uh, yeah, <laughs> which, which is uh, important that people see. So you actually did yeah. something. Uh, and speaking yeah. of which, Julie Anderson, um, speaking of which, uh, uh, you, you must have made a tremendous amount of work. Um, I'm just thinking, all, I, even though they're all in Oakland, uh, but still, mm-hmm. uh, you have at least half a dozen families here that you focus on, that you emphasize. Yeah. And I'm just thinking how how uh, coordinating all the, the, the these different uh, families and, and the film um, and making helping to make it coherent and build attention to some degree. Um, although, yeah. as I said with Amy just a few minutes ago, there's a yeah. little less focus on the you know on the on the competition aspects of it. Everybody wins in a certain level, but mm-hmm. still, your job had to be very very uh, uh, complicated. Well, I think that um, you have to really congratulate Amy on that. You know, she's been doing a lot of films that involve casting children, and she's not only is she good at casting children, but she's good at getting them to relax in front of the camera. My big job or my big contribution was selling the idea to HBO. So I had gone online, and I know when I'm pitching executives at HBO, they don't have very much time, so you have to be very succinct in your proposal. And I put a couple of links so they could see some of the kids who were so inspiring from past competitions. And so my job was really staying on top of Lisa Heller at HBO and um, um convincing her and she you know she was an easy sell. We still loved the film from the very beginning. So I, I can't take take credit for all of that wrangling that Amy and Diane did, but I can take credit for bringing the story, recognizing the story and bringing it to HBO. Uh well what's a, a terrific she also explained Amy, I mean, explained that um the film which is uh going to premiere well, we're talking on Monday, so it's premiering tomorrow, Tuesday, the 18th of February, um, that um, it will be premiere on HBO, but then it goes to HBO.com for uh, for free for anybody to watch it. And yeah. who, how did that how did that decision come about? Because obviously 
uh, HBO, as everybody knows, is a subscription service. Um, not everybody can prioritize that as a monthly expense. I don't know. But mm-hmm. this way, at least, mm-hmm. it democratizes uh, the opportunity to see the film. Yeah, you know, I have to really credit HBO there because um, they do that very, very rarely. HBO really prides itself I don't on having... It. Yeah. yeah, HBO prides itself on having exclusive programming that you can't see anywhere else, and that's how they keep people coming back. So for them to make something available to everybody, it's really rare. It only happened one other time in my experience with HBO when we had a film called Educating Peter about this young boy who had a mental disability and his parents decided to put him in regular school and we followed him for the first year in school and then HBO opened it up to the entire nation. So they have a corporate responsibility department that decides when they need to do things like that and I think um, it's, it shows just a tremendous amount of support from HBO for them to do that for us on this film. Absolutely true. Um, Exceedingly rare. Yeah. So did you you worked on that other film that you just mentioned, Peter's? Uh, Educating Peter. That was a really long time ago. It won an Academy Peter. Award. Yeah. Educating Peter is a lovely film. And HBO is not really, yeah, HBO is not known for, you know, when you say children's programming, you think it's programming for children. But really what Amy does is programming about children for adults. Yeah. Yeah. Although, so, I, yeah, go ahead. Um, I mean, our, our, what we call our children's department is sort of a hybrid because it does programming for children. You know, they have Sesame Street. But Amy's films, although this one is definitely very much younger people will really enjoy this film because they'll see themselves in it. But Amy often will do films about children and important issues like divorce or 9-11 or dreams and, you know, how how children get through the tougher experiences in life. So this is a nice, I guess, break for everybody at HBO to do a documentary that's um, more happy and inspiring than some of the tougher subjects that HBO often covers. And were you able to attend the uh, screening with the kids when they did see the film? Yes, it was so fun. They were so excited. You can't even imagine. Um, All of the kids in the film pretty much were there. And, you know, what's great is the parents are so proud of their kids. They don't even know what hit them. You know, they've been hearing about this film. They know their kids were filmed. They have no idea how that's going to turn out. And when they saw this film, they were just so overwhelmed. Really proud. Really proud. It's a real, like, that's when you really get a taste, a real sample of how uh, important um, a great teacher is. Um, Mm Mm-hmm. Because uh, yeah. it's the dedication of these teachers uh, working with the kids, these educators, I should say, um, mm-hmm. uh, you know, and how much they believe in kids. And also, it's always it's always very inspiring, and, and you show it in the film too, um, how you know that they, they obviously adore these kids, but they talk to them yeah. like they're fully formed human beings, uh, or, yeah, or or at least yeah. just intelligent human beings is what I'm trying to say. Yeah. Um, yes. And I, I appreciate seeing that, that they're very capable of creating yes. their own ideas and thoughts. And it's it's nice because, yeah. oh, you know, it, it, it take, it, that's what kind of got me to un- refocus mm-hmm. from their cuteness to, this, yeah. to them being um, actual, you know, thoughtful people. 
Yes, and I think that's a good point. I hope that teachers aren't overlooked in this film because this program wouldn't be the program it is without the mentorship that the teachers bring to it, the mentorship and the empathy, that compassion and dedication that the teachers bring to it. And you can see it in all aspects. And they do, you're right, they speak to these children with respect. They don't talk down to them because they're children. They treat them with respect and they inspire them to respect others. And so I think... 90% 90% of the success of this particular program rests with the teachers. Is there also, um, you're, you're at HBO? Mm-hmm. Well, I'm, a, I'm an independent producer. I was okay. at one time, a, a, a worked in the documentary department in development for HBO, and now I'm independent. But I've done many I, projects I, for HBO. I was only, I just can't remember, and I've, certainly gotten to know a number of people uh, uh, with like Nancy and Lisa and Sarah mm-hmm. uh, 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 over the years. Um, mm-hmm. And I, I just, but I never really, I don't know that I've ever really asked if there is a, a institutional uh, or educational distribution component case good. I, or maybe, you know, some other company takes care of all that. Because um, obviously this is a film that, you know, would be great for educators to show in their classrooms. Oh, sure, yeah. I think there's a whole department that worries about that. And also, HBO will do a lot of partnerships with Scholastic. And any time that they feel like the films could have a larger reach, there's a whole team of people that work internally at HBO to make sure that happens. Sure, and if they're thinking about school... I'm sorry, go ahead. No, go ahead. Oh, I was only going to say, I think if an educator or somebody in the, you know, who works for the school system is listening, or if there's parents listening even, and think, mm-hmm. you know, that this would be a great, well, first of all, see the film, for God's sake. It's called We Are the Dream, the Kids of the Oakland MLK or Sparkle Bus. But uh, mm-hmm. I think, you know, people, you know, especially parents that are really involved may want to uh, take this back to their schools. And um, I mean the idea, but also the film yeah. to, to see how, mm-hmm. you know, so, you know, they can make a point of watching it for free, of course, on HBO.com. But you may want to show it to the yeah. kids as well. And it could be yeah. something you could do in, in your own community. Yeah, down yeah. The line, maybe next year or the year after. Yeah, I'm guessing that there's going to be a burst of activity in this area once this film airs because they make it look easy, although I'm sure it's a tremendous amount of work and a tremendous amount of volunteer work to get it off the ground. But I think the the proceeds pay you back a million times over. So, yeah, I'm hoping, I mean, not even just parents, but educators, principals, any any right. educational system will want to incorporate this. What a great thing to do. Yeah. It's a great it's thing. Good. I mean, as you see, like, even the shy kids are participating, which I love. It's not just the kids that are comfortable getting out in front of people. Well, I mean, in that sense, I mean, you know that a lot of actors are shy, right? They, 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 they're very awkward in person, yeah. but when you put them on stage, yeah. there's no, you yeah. know. It's yeah. a way of, uh, yeah. it's like, a, it's, a, it's an opportunity, right, to shine and yeah. come out of yourself, yeah. you know, and, and be praised yeah. for it. It's like, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, again, the documentary, it, it premieres on HBO um, on the 18th, that's uh, Tuesday, mm-hmm. February 18th, and then it will uh, shortly thereafter go on to HBO.com as well. Um, yeah. And, and uh, I thank you. Uh, did we get to everything? Did we, did we leave anything out here that we should cover uh, mention? 
I don't think so. I would just like to do a shout out to Diane Collier, the producer who was locked oh, yeah. up with Amy every step of the way. Um, she's, you know, producers tend to stay in the background, but she's definitely worthy of, of, of you know, mentioning because she did an amazing job putting this together. She handled all of the logistics. And, you know, it's hard to get permission to shoot in a school system. It's quite complicated. So it's okay. like it's thankless work. But, you know, kids are very protected from the media. So just to get permission to do all the shooting that they did was all a lot of work on Diane's part. Well, kudos to all you guys, and also yeah, to Marshala Mar- Mar- Ali, who is an executive producer as well. Yeah, your 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 builds. I mean, it's 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 so important to when somebody like that uh, lends their name, so it mm-hmm. reaches that much much more of an audience. And uh, I, yeah. I don't want to butcher any other names, uh, but of course, there's uh, Amitas. Did I say that name right? Amitas Kareem yeah. Ali. Yeah, yeah, I think so. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, yeah. if you if I mispronounce I mean, it, forgive. And Mimi Valdez. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Both of them. And, you know, it's a it's a it's not like it takes a dollar, but it does take a team. What's that? It, it's not like it takes a village, but it certainly does take a team. Oh yes. <laughs> There's a lot of moving parts in making a documentary, and. You know, usually the director gets all of the praise, and they certainly deserve it, but there's a large team of people behind them. Well, thank you, and I wish you luck with all your future documentary projects. You're doing Thank you work. so much. I appreciate it. Thank you for talking. Oh, my pleasure. Thank you. episode, we have uh, uh, friends of mine, Judith Mizraki and D.W. Young, with their new documentary. It's fantastic. It's called The Booksellers. It was at the New York Film Festival. And it's opening up at the Quad Cinema in New York City on uh, the 6th of March, Friday the 6th of March, if you're in New York. I will be moderating two of their screenings on Saturday at the Quad. Uh, There's a 2 o'clock screening. And then there is an evening screening. Uh, I think it's at seven seven. I got. I'll post it in anticipation of uh, the premiere on next Friday. But I'll. I mean, I won't be there Friday. And I'll be there Saturday, of course. But uh, if you hear this, and if you want to come out to the film, you're in the New York area. You want to come see this wonderful documentary. It's called The Booksellers. Again, uh, come on out. Meet uh, meet up with me. I, I I look forward to meeting people. Uh, I, going to be at the quad probably a good portion of the day or in the neighborhood but i will definitely be doing q a's with uh, the folks from the from the film plus some special guests on saturday afternoon and again on saturday evening and we'll be posting the show next thursday with uh, with the team uh, from that documentary about rare booksellers 
I, I, I know it sounds possibly a little dry, but it's not. It's a wonderful, it's very entertaining. That's coming up on the next episode. And, and you know, of course, there's much more to come in the days and weeks ahead with Film Wax Radio going into its uh, next hundred episodes, I guess, right? This is episode 600. Amazing. Take care of yourselves and the ones you love, please. Okay? Please. And uh, until next time, this is Adam Sharkoff, your host of Film Wax Radio. Broken lines, broken strings, broken.